the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. It's the Friday show, which means we made it through another week and we're all still here waiting for Jesus to come. Paula said to me today, she said, I am really ready for Jesus to come. Aren't we all? Well, until he does, we've got work to do. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions or life questions or anything that's going on in your heart. You can call us with those questions by dialing area code 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can send them in using our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call uh, is just by using the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now button, and then you'll be able to use the hands-free feature, and we can talk. Once more, 340-9585. I always like weekends. People get off on weekends. You know, oh, thank God it's Friday. Get a couple of days off. Well, this is when we get really busy. So um, tonight we have our Bible study um, in Acts chapter 18. I'm going to do the first 11 verses tonight in that chapter. Um, tomorrow we've got our pastor's discipleship class and Saturday morning prayer here. The prayer starts at 930. And then we've got our three services on Sunday. Wherever you go to church, just go and make yourself available to be used. Jesus, what about me and what about today? Ask him to show you people who are hurting, people who are, are lost or broken. I promise you'll do it. Instead of going and talking to the same people that you always know, Talk to somebody intentionally that you don't know. Make them feel welcome. It's amazing what happens when you go to church being willing to use, be used by the Lord. I'm going to start today with a question, I think, a really, really important one. It's not really a question as much as it is a statement. And it's from somebody who calls herself a uh, lonely rebel. Now, it's long, but I think it's important, so bear with me. Hello, Pastor Ron. It's June, traditionally the month many, many people get married. I know you say quite frequently that people shouldn't be unequally yoked in marriage. However, you can only speak from a secondhand point of view. I'm sure you have counseled numerous people before and after they have chosen to make this decision, but you've never been there. So I would just like to share with anyone planning to marry someone who is not a believer, don't do it! It's all caps, so she's yelling. Now listen to the counsel, please. I know you're lonely, but the loneliness you are going to experience from being away from Jesus cannot be adequately described with words. No, you won't lose your salvation. That is eternally secure. But you will diminish your walk and fellowship with him. And the mental picture of Jesus walking ahead of you, occasionally looking over his shoulder, a tear in his eye, 
and his nail-scarred hand reaching out, but you're too far away to take hold and too ashamed. Please, please don't make this horrible mistake. Listen to the Spirit. He's been speaking to you. You've been trying to drown him out, but thankfully he's stubborn and patient. But he's going to seemingly stop and let you have what is not his will for you. The enemy and his crew are going to pound you moment by moment until you've made the choice to go forward with this sin against the Almighty, and then they're going to really crank up the guilt and condemnation because now you have to commit another sin to repent of the first one, divorce. But what if your unsaved spouse doesn't want to give you divorce? So much so that he or she claims to get saved. Now you're thinking everything's going to be all right, but Jesus taught about people who receive Christ's salvation in Mark chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. I could go on with the bad things you will experience, but I have taken enough of Pastor Ron's time. So to conclude, I've trapped myself in a very lonely marriage with a really nice person who now claims to be a believer in Christ but lacks the slightest bit of proof. God has you hearing this. This is yet another red flag. Please don't ignore it. Then in parentheses, she writes, I sent this anonymously because I think some people from my church listen to this program since only God knows if my spouse is truly saved. No one needs extra stuff to gossip about. I'm sorry this was so long. Lonely Rebel, it wasn't too long. Um, When I read this, I got got home right after the radio show yesterday. Uh, I assume you you sent it in uh, while Paul and I were on the air on the Date Day program. Um, but I didn't see it until we got home, and I was sitting there. I forwarded it to Paula right away and just said, Paula, um, this is a keeper. This is something that we want to share with people. And Lonely Rebel, you're right about one thing for sure. People don't listen. So maybe they'll listen to you. You know, I've been married for a long, long time. Paula and I have been together for 48 years. And they look at me sometimes like, well, what do you know about how lonely I am? All I can say is I know about how miserable you're going to be, how much pain, and they don't listen. So maybe they'll listen to you. I appreciate very much your heart in sharing it, um, exposing yourself before a listening audience. I know how much having to do something like this hurts. At the same time, Maybe just one woman or one man will decide to wait for God's best for himself or for herself. You know, most of the pain, the real, real, real long-lasting pain that we deal with in counseling is as a result of unequally yoked marriages. One person following Jesus, the other person not. It's even worse, as you pointed out, Lonely Rebel, that Somebody claims to believe in Christ, but there's no fruit at all. No benefit that you receive from their profession of faith. And they just don't get it. I ask all the time, why would you want to be with somebody who doesn't love your Jesus? Why would you want to be with somebody when this life is over, they won't be with you for eternity? And everybody thinks it'll be different. Oh, you don't understand, Pastor On. This is an answer to prayer. I'm so lonely and I've been praying so much and this man showed up or this woman showed up. Well, I pray that everybody in this audience really heard Lonely Rebel's heart. Sorry for your pain. Let me give you a little bit of hope, Lonely Rebel. Paula prayed for me for 13 years. For 13 years, I made her life absolutely miserable. Now, her life was miserable before she got saved, too. I was a big part of that. But she hung in there. God knows the future. First Peter chapter 3 is your anthem. Read it. Pray it. Live it. And let God help you focus on His goodness and His faithfulness. And in the process, hope will come flooding into your heart. 
I cannot tell you how grateful I am for you writing that. So I appreciate it very, very much. Let's go to, I think it's Felipe um, in San Antonio, Texas, on line one. Felipe, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Uh, good afternoon, Pastor Ron. Uh, oh, this is my Felipe. <laughs> yes, your Felipe. Uh, just wanted to let you know, uh, I don't know if, they, if the guys told you earlier today, but uh, our beautiful uh, bouncing ray of sunshine came through today, our bell array. Uh, came through at 724 this morning. Uh, Felipe, Paula showed me uh, the text, or she read the text to me this morning. So we were rejoicing with you. But just a little while ago, um, Pastor Rich came in and and showed me the picture of that beautiful, beautiful, precious girl. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And, and Mama and Baby are, are doing fine. I just want to tell the whole church family, that thank you for your prayers. Uh, she came two weeks early. We were actually on our way back home last night, and her water, uh, bus, oh. Jordan's water busted on, on 410, so we drove straight to the hospital and, and uh, delivered this morning. So just wanted to say oh. thank you, uh, everybody, well, give, and uh, God please is good. Give Jordan, Felipe, please give Jordan our love and tell her that we've been praying, and, and now we just want her to get, get healthy and get back to work. That's cool. I will let her know. Thank you. We love you. Thank y'all. you. Y'all have, I love you too. Have God a great day. We're we're in a sort of a baby boom here, and and uh, it's it's just been really really neat time. I appreciate Felipe doing that. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Thomas from our email inbox. Good afternoon, Pastor Ron. I need some biblical fatherly guidance. The other day, a big rig was parked at a neighbor's house, which is illegal in our neighborhood. My little girl, who is adamant about rule following, asked me if we should call the police. In so many words, I told her she should mind her own business. Now I'm concerned about what I actually told her. I think you understand what I mean. Uh, Thank you for being you. Thank you, uh, Thomas. those are tough ones, Thomas, because there are some rules that are broken that we don't need to involve the police. Um, I probably wouldn't have told her that she should mind her own business. I would most likely have said, well, what would you have me do about it? Let's pray for the truck driver, and maybe God will speak to his heart. I always like to give kids a chance to see uh, God move on people's hearts. Uh, if if that's not enough, then you could say, well, you know, this isn't one of the things that police are going to come out here for and give a ticket. So the next time we see our neighbor, what we'll do is we'll tell him or we'll tell her uh, about the, the, the rule about parking. And, and then just, again, reiterate praying for the people who are in violation. Thomas, sometimes we, we especially as parents, we speak without thinking. And you're so perceptive because you see that we're giving uh, sort of mixed signals to our kids, and that's always going to be difficult. So um, let me tell you something. I'm married to a rule follower, and um, your little girl is is going to do just fine. And because I know her, uh, I know she's going to do just fine because she loves Jesus. So, Thomas, I hope that helps. There isn't anything I can really do, but calling the police, as you understood, was not appropriate for that kind of a thing. Sometimes things aren't that cut and dried, are they? It's hard to explain to a kid, well, why some rules and not other rules? Hmm. Here's an anonymous question. Oh, and this is based on news this week. Pastor Ron, why would rich and successful people commit suicide? It's happened twice this week. Uh, it has. Anthony Bourdain, I think is his last name, uh, 61 years old, rich and famous. Um, it's a television show. Um, um, uh, another lady who has a line of purses and became very successful, Spade, uh, is her last name. I wasn't aware of her. Uh, but... Uh, people that are really, really rich in the world would say very successful, got it all together. So why would rich and successful people commit suicide? Because they don't have the one thing they need. They don't have Jesus. It's because money 
doesn't fill that hole. It's because success doesn't fill that hole. It's being in the public eye doesn't fill that hole, getting all the attention you want. And I think sometimes, even when you ask a question like this, it saddens me because far too many Christians think that the answer to our problems and our pain are worldly things. If I only had more money, if I only was successful, if I was only married, if I was thinner, or if I was prettier, or if I was more handsome. But nothing can fill the emptiness in the human heart except Jesus. Now, that is not to say that Christians don't get depressed and have problems and sometimes even commit suicide. But here's the thing. Paul said that we're to keep our minds and hearts on things above. As I always say when I use this verse, the mind is the place of decision, the heart is the place of affection. And our mind, our heart, is supposed to be securely locked in on things above. Those are the things of God. And sometimes we Christians start looking too low. Instead of looking up, we're looking out. And we see that people have things that we think we need or people have things that we want. And in our mind, of course, we think, well, they must have it all together. Uh, the, the psalmist in Psalm 73 had the same problem. Surely God is good to Israel, he wrote, but as for me, my feet almost slipped. Why? Because he was looking around at the, the, the prosperity of the wicked. It seemed like they had their lives together. And later in that psalm, he comes to the conclusion that, well, I, I was that way until I saw how they ended. You see, we're all built anonymous with this hole in our heart that only Jesus can fill. It doesn't matter what religion you belong to if you're not a Christian. It doesn't matter how much good you try to do. We're all built with a hole. Do you remember the story, Anonymous, of the rich young ruler? He had everything going for him. And he comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to obtain eternal life? Good teacher. Now, when, by calling him good, he was acknowledging he knew who he was. You're God. You're the Messiah. Jesus even pointed out, why do you call me good? There's only one good, and that's God. And the rich young ruler would have nodded. Well, I know. That's why I'm here asking. And Jesus answered him, if you want to get to heaven without me, you have to keep the commandments. Which ones, he said. Now, he wasn't telling the truth, but he said, all those I have done since my youth. And yet he was still missing something. He was still empty. So Jesus told him, give away your money. Give it to the poor. Jesus didn't care about the money. But what he cared about was that his possessions possessed him. And the result is emptiness. The Bible says he walked away sad. Well, he didn't commit suicide, but in the world that we live in, people are committing suicide, taking their lives with more frequency. And they're causing more pain. It is one of the most painful things to deal with for the survivors of a suicide. The family members, the people that loved them. There's such guilt and condemnation. And it's happening all the time. It's happening more and more and more to successful people. People that we think have it all together. Anonymous, they commit suicide because they're empty inside. And money and fame can't fill it. And I'm afraid we're going to see a lot more. You know, one of the things I've noticed is that things happen in cycles in our lives. And especially now with these two celebrities having taken their life, there will be others who basically are going to say, well, you know, they got attention and now their pain is over and the enemy's going to be right there. Remember, his purpose is to kill, to steal, and destroy is to say, well, their pain is over, you can end your pain, and there will be others who do the same thing. I'm sad. I, I didn't know, I mean, I had seen Anthony Bourdain, but I didn't, I'd never even heard of this other lady. But there are going to be more. Think of all the rock stars that have committed suicide 
or overdosed on drugs. I think of Kurt Cobain. I think of Michael Jackson. Prince. I mean, it had everything that this world offers, and it wasn't enough. Think of a man who made us all laugh. Robin Williams. Everything he did made me laugh. But there was no laughing at all. in his life not not really so anonymous I hope that answers your question let's go to Jimmy calling from San Antonio Jimmy thanks for calling you're on the air hey Pastor Ron, I need to ask you to do me a favor uh, pray for my son Christian who is uh, you know what I told you about him yesterday how he's you know they're pretending they're married but they're not married yeah and uh I've been talking to like my, uh, well, I call her my daughter-in-law, but I know she's not really my daughter-in-law. But uh, you know, I told her that you know her her sister is you know uh, gay, and they just proposed to each other they're going to get married. And I told her I don't want my son to be involved in supporting that because he was raised a Christian, even though he has fallen, and 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 I look at him as prodigal son. He was fallen, and he, I don't want him to accept it. And I haven't seen if she's going to force him to do it. And he's going to have to stand and make a choice. Either he's going to stand for the word of God, or he's going to fall for that. Mm. And uh, and I told her straight out, I don't believe in that. I don't hate your sister. I met her, everything. I love her. I think she's a cool person. But that, that in the word of God, there's no such thing with do you believe what you want to believe so I told her well you know what I'm going to tell you something if you cannot I'm going to pray for you still and all this I'm going to love you still but if you're not willing to accept and uh, the word of God and you're not willing to accept Jesus Christ as your personal savior then I can't talk to you anymore Jimmy, I'm gonna let me. I I will be praying for your for your son and and his um, live-in. Um, but but you you didn't ask for any advice. But but uh, while you're listening off the air, let me give you some unsolicited advice. What your son is doing um, in a heterosexual relationship, fornicating, is no better, no worse than two people of the same sex who are having relations. It's the same thing. I know your son, and even by calling her your daughter-in-law, you're, 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 you're giving credibility that doesn't exist. Uh, she's just a, a woman that your son is taking advantage of, and she's possibly taking advantage of him. That's something I wouldn't have any way of knowing. But sin of fornication whether it's people of the same sex or a different sex, that doesn't, one's not better than the other. And your Bible says people who live like this, two places, 1 Corinthians 6 and Galatians chapter 5, people who live like your son is living are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. A believer, the fact that he made a profession of faith, if we want to be honest and talk to our our children and pray for them with with effectiveness we got to be honest Lord he's not a believer if he was he wouldn't do this please Jesus grab his heart and that's going to be my prayer for him and as far as the the sister who is gay and her lover we you know they they just need to know Jesus the world that we live in believes these things are okay your son believes these things are okay and Jimmy, the best thing you can do for him is to just separate from him. Especially as someone who professes Christ. Bible says, have nothing to do with him. I know that's your son. I know how hard that is. But at some point, he's got to wrestle with Jesus and not with Dad. So let him make the choices he's going to make. 
and not going to a gay wedding is not going to put him in any good standing with God when in fact he himself is living in a sexually immoral relationship. It's easy to look at somebody who's gay for a Christian and say, well, they're the real sinners. But but it's judgment begins at the house of God and the professing believer who willfully sins against God is in a far more dangerous place. So, Jimmy, I hope that helps. 340-9585. And by the way, don't get upset when he doesn't get it. He won't. That's what flesh does. Don't get upset when they make fun of you for believing old-fashioned things. I always tell people God is really old, Jimmy, and when that's the case, then there's really no place else to go. Just pray for them, and I will be praying for them. Keep us posted on how things are going. We have 30 minutes left in the week's programs. We'd love your live calls and questions. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. You're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And we will be back in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back we're here to take your phone calls and questions 340-9585 here's a question i think it's from monte is how you pronounce it there used to be an nba player called monte played for the warriors i think He says, I know some churches believe in the bread and wine becoming the real presence of God. How do they justify it scripturally? Monte, they don't. Um, It's tradition. It's been passed down. Nobody challenges it. Um, Transubstantiation, consubstantiation, there are different names for it. Depending on on the the church or the group of people that you're talking about. Um, But it's, it's just not honest scholarship. Um, maybe they hold on to it so tightly because it, it gives, well, well, the presence of God is with me and they don't have to change the way they live. Um, it, it's beyond my ability to understand. Now, I, I didn't grow up in church, Monte. I, I don't have any of that baggage. But even after 23 years of answering questions and having people come to me at church and asking me questions, uh, I, 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 I honestly don't understand why they can't see what's so clearly revealed in the Word. Jesus said, and here's their premise, Jesus said, take and eat, this is my body. But we're told later in Scripture to do this in remembrance of him. That's a memorial. Not only that, but when Jesus said, take and eat, this is my body, he was still in his body. And so what he was doing was telling them by way of instruction that this is what's going to happen. I'm going to die. They're going to beat me. I'm going to be nailed to a cross. And I'm doing this for you. His disciples understood it. They never believed that they were ingesting his real body. They watched him walk around for 40 days after his resurrection. They watched him ascend into heaven in his body. So there was no mystical presence in the bread and the wine in the early church. Now, as church traditions developed, people get goofy in their doctrine. And it started happening really early in the early church. Within maybe 30 years of Jesus' resurrection, there were all kinds of false doctrines floating around the church. But this is just something we want to believe. Honestly, Monte, because Well, if his real presence is there, then it doesn't matter how I've been living, I'm going to be okay. I understand the tradition. I understand the appeal of tradition. But the truth of the matter is and always has been that this was simply a a memorial service. We do it in remembrance. As often as we take the cup and eat the bread, we do it in remembrance of him, also remembering that he's going to come again. So it's just inexplicable to me. Um, but it's it's a tradition that has legs. I mean, they've been people have been 
believing the same thing for 2,000 years doesn't make it right. By the way, when people say, well, no, church history and the early church fathers, uh, church history is not a monument to consistency. Church history, if anything, describes to us the absolute need, the essential need to hold on to the Bible as the single authority for life and practice in the Christian life and in the church. It doesn't matter what Augustine believed. It doesn't matter what, what um, um, any of the other church fathers believed. I thank God for them. I'm going to meet them in heaven. But all you have to do is study church history and you see how wrong they were about doctrinal issues. They were no different than we are. Well, they live closer to Jesus. I've had that example given dozens and dozens of times, Monte. Well, that just made it more inexcusable that they were so wrong. It just didn't take man long. It's in our DNA, I think, to look for religious ways to approach God. They are symbols. The bread and the cup are symbols. Nothing happens. No transformation of the elements. It's just something we do to say thank you. So, Monte, that's the best I can do. Fred says, uh, Pastor Ron, in John 14, Jesus says there are mansions in heaven. Are those literal mansions? Are we going to live like rich people? Uh, Fred, yes and no. Now, the yes is we're going to live like rich people in heaven because we're going to be just like Jesus. I want you to think about this for a moment. Our lowly, human, wearing out, tired bodies are going to be just like his glorified, resurrected, physical body. What he... We will be, we're told in Scripture, we don't know yet, but we do know this, we will be as He is. And we'll live like the richest people ever because we're going to be in the presence of the Lord. But we're not going to live like rich people live here on earth. And these are not literal mansions. In my house are many mansions, the King James says. The NIV says, in my house are many rooms. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Jesus was saying, look, I'm going to prepare a way for you to get to this this rich, this luxurious existence. But believe me, it's not the material luxury that we think of here. I've seen false teachers, the prosperity types, with stories they make up, oh, Jesus took me in heaven and showed me my mansion. Can't wait to get there because he showed me my mansion. That's to miss the whole point of the passage. John chapter 14, he's just telling them, look, there's a better place, a better way, and I'm going to ensure you do it. He says, if it wasn't so, I would have told you. And if I go, I will come back and take you to be with me where I am. There's no brick and mortar. I, I know streets of gold. I know pearly gates, one huge pearl for the gates of heaven. But you see, in heaven, the things that we consider the most valuable here are construction materials in heaven. I think that's the whole point. Our wealth, Fred, is going to be his presence. The secrets of the universe being revealed to us over and over and over. That's the wealth that we're going to have. I can't wait. I said earlier, Paula said she was really ready for Jesus to come back. Well, when he comes back for us, he's going to take us to the most posh banquet in the history of the world. So, Fred, I hope that answers your question. Here is a question from Kyle. Um, what is your opinion of the New Living Translation Bible? Uh, Kyle, I, I really, in, pa- in the past, haven't had much uh, exposure to it. Uh, I was reluctant to look at it, but I've been reading it uh, of late. And uh, at least in the New Testament, I really like it. Um, 
I haven't really checked out the Old Testament yet in it. I've, I've been reading it along with my other sources to prepare studies uh, in the New Testament, and, and I, I, so far, I'm completely impressed with it. I haven't found any problems. It's very readable. Uh, it speaks to us in a language that is not only correct but current, uh, something that we don't have to guess or wonder what the Greek word means. Uh, and I think it's a very useful translation, and I would say go for it, get it, and read it. The other thing that I've found from from just sort of asking pastor friends of mine um, what their experience is with the NLT is that they find that their people are reading the Bible more because of it. And that's a solid translation. If that's the effect it has, then we need nothing else at all. So uh, I'm very high on it right now. Um, I don't know if we're going to change to it sometime in the future or not, but but uh, I think it's a really, really good and rich translation. Here is another difficult question anonymously. How should Christians view illegal immigration? Anonymous, we don't have to view it at all. Um you know, it's not up to us to make laws um, that govern our policies for letting people into the country. As Christians, our responsibility is to obey the laws. But but nobody's going to ask you or me, um, uh, what's the proper view of illegal immigration? We have a say-so in it insofar as we get to vote for people. Obviously, this is a, an issue that is dividing our country. Um, those on the left just think it's the cruelest thing in the world to keep people out who are fleeing from danger. And how could you separate children? The people on the right would say, well, just don't come. You know we're not going to welcome you. And we know you know we're not going to. But see, we don't have to deal with any of that. Now, this is really important for us. We don't have to have the answers politically. We don't have to have a, an opinion to, to tweet Here's how we Christians should view it. Whoever is in front of us, no matter where they come from, no matter how long they've been here, we need to show them the love of Jesus Christ. No matter who it is, no matter how they got here. We go into a place of business and we encounter um, people who are here illegally. We should be kind we should be generous. We should share Jesus with them, just like we would anybody else. You know, one thing that's always sort of killed me, Anonymous, is that, you know, we pray for opportunities. Most Christians do, and all of us should. We, should, we pray every day for opportunities to, to, to share Jesus with people. Lord, bring people in my path who need you. We don't pray for bring me legal immigrants or bring me people who are obeying the laws if they already are citizens of this country. We just say, Lord, bring people who need to hear about Jesus, people who need to experience the love of God on a personal level. And then we sort of figuratively raise our hands and say, Jesus, I'm your man or I'm your woman, so send them all to me. Churches, we want our churches to grow, but we've gotten so political that we, we, well, wait a minute, what if God brings a bunch of people that are here illegally? What are you going to do, not minister to them? So we need to separate the secular from the spiritual. The political is secular. When somebody's in need, and you have the opportunity to show them the answer, the way, the truth, and the life, then we need to do that. And see, we're relieved from the, the, the pressure of having to have the right political answer. All we have to do is be kind and be loving and be generous. I'll give you one more perspective on this, Anonymous. If I lived in Mexico, now we are getting ready to plant our third church in Mexico. I have a hard time saying the word. It's, I think it's Michoacan. How is that right? Okay, my producer who speaks Spanish is nodding his head. Um, and it's dangerous there. We've got a church that we planted. It's been there 10 years in Durango. We've got a church in Reynosa that has always been dangerous. They've had some times where it was peaceful, but 
The violence always comes back. Here's what I know. If I was a Mexican citizen who lived in those places and my family was always in danger, I would do anything I had to do to come to a place where I could provide for my family and my family could be safe. Now, regardless of what your opinion is about the illegal immigration issues, I don't think there's a Christian in this world, somebody really truly born again, who can disagree with just what I said. If it was me, or if it was you, a man that doesn't provide for his family is worse than an infidel. Why, why would we expect others, hold others to a standard that we ourselves wouldn't keep? So we need to be compassionate, empathetic, And if we're truly going to say, Jesus, use me, what about me, what about today? The only way we can do that is to be available, to be an instrument through whom the love of God can flow. And any Christian who would disagree with that view, I I just, they don't know Jesus very well. It's just that simple. Michuacan, that's what it is, Michuacan. So we'll pray for Pastor Chris and his wife, Elvira, Elvira. And um, uh, they will be, in the very, very near future, uh, heading out to, to plant that church. 340-9585, we've still got a little bit of time for any phone calls. And I tell you often that you're more interesting than I am, so we'd love to have them. Here's a question from Bobby. He says, I struggle with anger. How can I deal with it? Well, Bobby, you deal with it by being in the spirit instead of in the flesh. Anger is a choice. It's not something you're born with. It's something that we develop. Now, here's what we need to, to think about. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. So, Bobby, I would ask you, if you were sitting in my office for counseling, do you believe that? And if you said, yes, but you know, I've always been had this problem with my temper, with anger, I would say, then you don't really believe it. I say the same thing to the guy who comes from a 12-step background. Well, you know, one's a drunk, always a drunk. Well, wait a minute. Do you believe 2 Corinthians 5.17 or don't you? See, it's just an amazing thing to me, a painfully amazing thing to me. But the Bible has answers for these things, and we Christians don't believe it and live defeated lives. Bobby, here's a picture for you. As a believer, we're going to stand before Jesus at the Bema seat, the judgment seat of, of Christ. And we're going to receive or lose rewards. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Romans chapter 12. When we do that, how will you explain to Jesus that you couldn't overcome anger? How would you explain it to him? Wasn't my death enough for you? Wasn't the fact that I took the punishment of your sins enough for you? How would we ever explain that to him? Do we really not believe that the Holy Spirit, God himself, is not more powerful than our flesh? So how can you deal with it? Bobby, the answer is to be with Jesus. You know, if you are with Jesus, if you're with him and you're about to blow your top, you won't do it. It's that simple. I had a question earlier in the week about pornography. We wouldn't look at pornography if Jesus was sitting with us at our cable that the computer was on or when we pull out our phones. We wouldn't do it. Why? Because, well, that'd be embarrassing. Jesus, I couldn't do that with you here. So, Bobby, you got to be with Jesus. Now, there's hope here. The fact that you're struggling with it means it's not completely been given over to yet. But this is something you've got to hate. you got to stop making excuses for it, stop defending it, stop worrying about it 
how you were raised or what's happened to you in your life and ask God for the gift of faith to believe that he's overcome the old body and if you don't believe it there's nothing we can do we walk by faith not by sight not by feelings I was having conversation with a man who occasionally, not often, but occasionally stops by the church here. We were at the gym, and he let out an F-bomb in our conversation. He goes, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, I've got a filthy mouth. It's just just the way I am. And I said, but, but you don't have to be that way. I used to have a filthy mouth, too. Then I met Jesus. I've used a bad word one time in 27 years. One time. It's not that those words don't pop into my head. It's just I don't want to embarrass Jesus. I don't want to offend him. I don't want to chase him away. Why would I act like the old me when, when in reality I'm a new person altogether? Bobby, whether it's bad language or anger or unforgiveness or drunkenness, whatever, Jesus is more powerful, infinitely so, than anything you're dealing with. Hope that helps. Here's an interesting question as well. Jason said, should Christians send money to other Christians who ask? Jason, um, um, I'm struggling for the right word. No. (laughs) Um, Here's my policy. Um, even and, and by the way, this was my policy even before I was saved, and and uh, my policy when I had a lot of money. If I needed the money back, I wouldn't give it. If I didn't need it back, then I'd give it and not give it another thought. And someone would say, will you lend me money? And I used to, you know, even before I was saved, I was pretty generous that way. You know, my heart wasn't in the right place, but but it's just who I've always been. Uh, I could do pretty well if I could ever get all that money that I've lent back. The problem is in the church, there's a lot of people who, when we lend them money, we get in the way of what God is doing. We end up losing friendships because people make promises and don't repay. Then we have an opportunity to get bitter. Well, you said you would give it. You're a Christian. How could you do this? And then the enemy heaps it on. So I don't believe Christians should lend money to other Christians, period. If you can give it, never getting it back, you won't be bitter, then make it a gift. If you get money back, it's just the Lord taking care of you, but but don't expect it back. I think sometimes we have a tendency to want to help people in a material way, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it needs to be spirit-led. It needs to be prayer-led. And if we don't really speak to the Lord about it, the enemy's getting an opportunity to mess with us. So it's just my opinion, Jason, that we should not lend money. Let me say this also, Jason. The Bible does say, um, we call it co-signing. The Old Testament calls it surety, putting up surety for another. Uh, We Christians shouldn't co-sign for people either. It ruins relationships even more than lending money because when people don't pay, the other person's on the the hook. Now, we've got children and we want to help them out, but, but think about it for a moment. Is God not able to provide a car, as an example, for one of your children if God thinks it's best that they have one? So I think it's time that we teach people to be person responsible and accountable. And Jason, don't ever feel guilty if you have to tell somebody, no, I really can't afford to lend you money right now. I'll pray for you, God bless you, but I really can't. Don't feel guilty. And you know, so so often we Christians we feel like, well, we have to say yes because, well, after all, that's what Jesus said to do. 
But boy, a lot of relationships are destroyed, Jason, by that very, very thing. We've got two minutes. Let me see if I got a two-minute question. Here's one from Ezra. He says, why didn't God ever punish any of the men who had multiple wives in the Old Testament? Ezra, he didn't have to punish them because the consequences were punishment enough. We're right now doing a study in the life of David here on our Wednesday night Old Testament studies. We're in 2 Samuel and the punishment, the consequences, it doesn't come from God. It comes as a natural reaction to sin. And God didn't keep his people from consequences then or now. So they got all the punishment they needed. And you know what? It still didn't convince him of the need to do things right or the need to be obedient to God. So there were lots of consequences, lots and lots and lots of consequences, as well, and they were all self-inflicted wounds. So it isn't God, you know, I could ask you, why doesn't God ever punish, in the sense that you're thinking of, why doesn't God ever punish people who fornicate, or who look at pornography, or who get drunk? Well, it's a different thing. No, it's really not. God knows who we are. And he loves us. Truth is, he wants us to be obedient because he wants to bless us. Good week on the show this week. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it very, very much. You've been listening to the words of Stand On For Life. Go to church on Sunday, but be somebody God can use. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Find somebody and tell them about Jesus. I'll be back on Monday night or Monday afternoon, 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The word to stand on for life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.